Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. We come to um, what is a difficult text today. Not difficult by interpretation, but difficult by application. It's convicting. Not every passage in Scripture gets to be roses and rainbows. Some are weighty and burdensome and uh, piercing of the conscience. And that's what we come to find today. Uh, sobering and somber text of Scripture. Now we are given the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so that we may see and know by reading them. We've maintained this before and we will continue to maintain this. We have them so that by reading them we may see and know the life and ministry and teaching and work of our Lord Jesus. That by flipping to any one of them and opening the pages of Scripture, we can see what God would have us to see and know about Christ. Everything we do need to see and know about Christ. We have everything we could possibly need right here before us. That's why they're given. We are able at any time to see the desires of His heart. The heart of our God, we're able to know what He is passionate about. We're able to see the way that Jesus spends His time. We're able to see the people He interacts with and how He interacts with them. We're able to see exactly how He furthers the kingdom of God and how He would have us further the kingdom of God. We see how He wants us to live. How He teaches us and exhorts us and gives us instruction and more and more and much, much more. Included in that list is probably something we don't think about often, uh, nor do we want to spend much time on. But we should... We also see in the Gospels the things that Jesus hates. Those things that are detestable to Him. The things that despise Him that He despises. Now, hate is a strong language, isn't it? We tell our children, don't use that word. Don't use it casually. Don't use it flippantly. It means something significant. But hate is an accurate way to describe God's heart towards some specific things. Now, some people balk at a God of love hating anything. We most often want to think about God as kind and compassionate and patient and sincere, and He is those things. We want to think of Him as pure love and, and tolerant and on and on and on. But the truth is, God is also a God of hate. He hates certain things. The Old Testament is clear, including several very explicit scriptures telling us exactly, even many from God's own mouth, what He hates. Some things are circumstantial. Some other things are universal. Some things He hates based upon situation and, and person and circumstance. Other things He hates universally. He will always hate them. He always has hated them. Some of those things are found in Psalm chapter 5, verse 5. God says, I hate evildoers. Universal. Psalm 11.5, God hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, I want to read it. Probably the most famous verses of Scripture regarding things that God hates. You'll know this once I start to read it. In chapter 6, verse 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. What are they? 
haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. God hates those things. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14, God hates the worship of the Israelites in that moment. That's circumstantial. He hates their feasts and their new moons. Perhaps one of the most terrifying passages of Scripture to me is found in Amos. If I can find Amos, a minor prophet. Chapter 5, verse 21, God says this about their worship. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Instead, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If we, we maintain, and I have maintained, will maintain, worship is just this culmination of our faith where we get to ascribe worth and praise and glory to God. And then yet we have a text where God would say, I hate your worship. That's not universal. That's circumstantial. He hates their worship because of the condition of their heart. But there is something, something in these Israelites that, they, that God did not delight in. So much so that he says, your solemn assemblies I hate and loathe and despise. Isaiah 61.8, God says, I hate robbery and I hate wrong. Again, Amos 6, chapter 6, verse 8, I hate the pride of Jacob, the pride of Israel. Zechariah 8.17, I hate devising evil in the heart and false oaths. Malachi 1.3 and Romans 9.13, we actually see a person. I hate Esau. Revelation 2.6, Jesus says, I hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Wickedness. Lying. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. There are other things and other passages of Scripture that are very clear, although the word hate may not be used, the principle is, is unmistakable. And this enough, this short, quick list through the Old Testament is enough to heighten our senses, to be on alert concerning the fact that there is an Almighty God who possesses all power and all authority, and there are things that He hates. And we should at all costs avoid such things, right? One who possesses all power, all control, full, perfect, pure wrath has something to say about things that he hates. Part of fearing the Lord is respecting him enough to run from those things that he says he hates. Part of Christian maturity is knowing and understanding the power and authority that Almighty God possesses and flee the things that He hates. Now the Gospels do not attribute Jesus to saying the word hate explicitly to anything that He sees or views. He often talks about people hating Him and hating those who follow Him. But there are passages of Scripture that are clear concerning things that Jesus hates. For example... He hated how the Jews were treating the temple, didn't he? He called it a money market and he made a, a whip and drove them out in righteous anger, righteous indignation. 
we see in the Gospels, Jesus hated the lack of faith among the Jews. Those who had been given the prophets, who had been given the oracles of God, the writings of God, who expressed a lack of faith and lack of devotion to God and a lack of belief in Jesus, he hated that. We see that he hates demon oppression in his time. And in Luke 11, we find something else that our Lord hates very clearly. In fact, the subject of today's text, I would say, is the most frequently attacked and most frequently hated thing that our Lord exposes throughout His entire life in ministry. He spends so much time addressing what we find in Luke 11. And what is it that our Lord hates in Luke 11? It is religious hypocrisy. Let me be clear, the point of today is this. God hates religious hypocrisy. A hypocrisy is caring more about rituals and external appearance than about the integrity of the heart. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. To do things to be seen instead of to do things genuinely from the heart. Christ is going to lay into a group of people concerning this matter. Now thus far in Luke 11, we've seen the most important teaching given to us in all of Scripture concerning prayer. The Lord teaches us how to pray. Thus far in Luke 11, we've seen the Lord go on the defensive uh, against those who accuse Him of being demonic or influenced by the demonic. We've seen Him go on the defensive against those who request more signs of Him expressing their unbelief that they see and still yet don't believe. Well, today we see the Lord actually go on the offense and attack and expose hypocrisy in religious leaders. And by implication, all those who are just like him. Today's text, it's easy for us to look at it and say, well, he's just talking to the Pharisees. He's just talking to the lawyers and the scribes. But we must understand Christ is talking to all who would fit into this mold. Christ is talking to all who are just like them. Exposing and attacking their hypocritical hearts. It's with that theme and subject in mind that it's easy to see that this passage is a weighty passage, isn't it? It's a condemning text this morning. It's a warning passage of Scripture for us. It's a sobering passage of Scripture. It's one that pulls us out of fantasy and firmly puts us into reality concerning our walk with God. It's one that addresses this common misconception among Christians that your behavior dictates what your heart is. God always says your heart dictates your behavior. You work here first on the inside. And that flows to the outside. So our Lord is addressing His hatred for religious hypocrisy. And He's not just exposing His hatred for such religious hypocrisy. He's also, by implication, exposing the bleak outcome of those who are religiously hypocritical. He's not just going to say, I'm, I hate it. He's going to say, I hate it. And I will deal with it. So we come to this text this morning. And it's a text that should cause conviction. It's a text that brings up concern within us. It's a text that should spark within us a desire to avoid 
at all costs the things Jesus talks about here. The truth is, church, we all have a battle of hypocrisy hypocrisy in our hearts. Some of us struggle with it, fight it, repent, confess, and willfully and diligently engage in battle against it. Others of us are hypocritical. And we have a pattern of hypocrisy. And I hope this text puts fear in your hearts. The reality is this. God never messes with or downplays hypocrisy in the Gospels. Every time Jesus encounters religious hypocrisy, He doesn't allow it. All throughout the Gospels, we'll find Him be mercifully, He'll show mercy to the sexually immoral. He'll be patient with the prideful and He'll, he'll teach and help those who are ignorant. But He never lets hypocrisy go unchecked. He always brings down a swift and concise indictment on those who are hypocritical. And so this text should be one that opens our eyes wide. And I hope it checks some of us into real faith this morning. Look with me in Luke chapter 11 verse 37. Jesus has been teaching and defending himself and defending his answer to the request of signs and answer being no. In verse 37, Luke reports this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside. Make the inside also. But give his alms. Those things that are within. And behold everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint. And rue and every herb. And neglect justice. And the love of God. These you ought to have done. Without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said to them, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who are entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. 
In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Jesus does not mince words in this passage of Scripture. It is not flowery. It is not comforting. It is bold. It is precise. It's piercing of the conscience. And it is convicting for those of us who want to walk appropriately before God. Now we're looking at this morning, the theme of this whole passage for us is identifying the hypocrite. And to identify the hypocrite, we need to define hypocrisy. And that's exactly what Christ does at the beginning of this encounter. While he's teaching and speaking, this Pharisee breaks in, interrupts, and invites him to come over to his house. Jesus does, which tells us something. It shows us that he doesn't back away from meeting those who are his accusers, right? Jesus doesn't shy away from hostile interactions, potentially volatile scenarios. He's going to this man's house, and he's going to lay back, recline at table, eat dinner, and engage deliberately in conversation with those religious leaders of the day whom he is going to issue an indictment to. Now, in verse 38, Luke reports to us the first uh, reason that hypocrisy arises up in this conversation. It's because the Pharisees are horrified that Jesus didn't first wash before dinner. Maybe wash his hands, wash his feet. We're, we're not told exactly what he didn't wash. We're just told he didn't wash. Luke actually uses the word in verse 38, astonished. They're amazed. They're beside themselves. They're bewildered. And that's because the Pharisees had a very long list of purification rituals that dealt with external washings. In fact, their book that they compiled together outside of the Old Testament that helped people uh, obey the laws of God was called the Mishnah. Over 25% of the Mishnah was devoted to purification rituals and laws. In fact, even in archaeological evidence today, they're still finding cleaning stations, washing stations, all over Jerusalem and Israel. That's because these Pharisees maintained that devout Jews had to wash at certain times and in certain ways. And their rituals aren't primarily concerned with germs and hygiene. They're concerned with religious propriety and religious standing. In other words, they're not concerned with the dirt that may be on someone's hands before they eat. They're concerned with spiritual cleanliness. In fact, they put such stock on ritualistic washings that that was how they distinguished between observant Jews and non-observant Jews. Faithful Jews and non-faithful Jews. It had nothing to do with their obedience to God's law in the Old Testament. It had to do with things like ritualistic washings. Did they keep the washing purification rites? It is the classic case of thinking that what is done on the outside will affect the inside. Thinking that water on the hands might cleanse and purify the soul. That's what's taking place here. That's what drives Jesus crazy. That's what he hates. And hypocrisy 
hypocrite always gets these sort of things backwards. It's important to know in defining hypocrisy. Hypocrites focus more on external behaviors than they do on inward condition and inward reality. And how many times do we fall into that line of thinking ourselves? Verse 39, the Lord begins to address these Pharisees and He says this very same thing. And He makes His attack actually very universal. Using universal language. Using the plural form of you. Basically trying to encompass the whole Pharisaical system. He says in verse 39, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed, you are full of wickedness. You pay meticulous attention to your outward appearance, but you grossly neglect the condition of your heart. According to Christ right here, good appearances do not mean a pure heart before God. What a quick and sobering reality. What a concise indictment to these religious leaders who based everything on their outward reputation and their outward personification, their outward appearance. Jesus says the problem with cleansing the outside and not the inside is that the inside is what matters before God. And it is what represents who you truly are. The hypocrite instead tries to ignore who they truly are in the heart and mask and cover it up with external practices. Jesus exposes this. And He says, you think you're clean. And you think you appear to be godly outwardly. But I know what's on the inside. You're full of greed. And you're full of wickedness. That tells us something. Tells us something about the Pharisees. It tells us something about the hypocrite. It tells us that you can keep all your man-made laws and all your man-made rules, all your man-made rituals and regulations and still be greedy and wicked on the inside. That is a defining mark of a hypocrite. One way before others and dead on the inside. Now, to enhance what Christ is saying in verse 39, I want you to know the kind of words He uses to describe what they are on the inside. He says, you're full of greed and wickedness. The word greed that He uses means taking advantage of others for personal gain. It's actually a little more than that. It means to disregard and neglect others for personal gain. To rob them and plunder them. It's the opposite of what God would have us to do when he says to love our enemies and love our neighbor and care for our brothers and sisters. Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You are the opposite of that. The word for wickedness that he uses means an ungodly person in life and in pursuit. You are all about the opposite things of God. And he says in verse 40, it's because you've forgotten the most basic truth that there is. And he asks us a piercing question to teach a fundamental truth. That fundamental truth is the maker of the outside is also the maker of the inside. Verse 40, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? See, hypocrites are not only focused on external matters instead of internal matters. They forget that God is also the God of the heart as well as the body and that He sees the heart. 
The hypocrite thinks they can mask over the reality of who they are. Forgetting all the while that God sees the heart as clear as day. And he is more concerned about your heart than your external behavior. Church, let me say clearly, that is Christianity. It always has been. It always will be. And it is right now. God sees your heart. And all of your good works, all of your appearances, all your hypocritical hypocritical attitudes, all your external washings are for nothing if your heart is not right before God. And those things never reverse in order. God sees the heart. Hebrews tells us we are all naked and exposed before Him whom we must give an account. Jesus is coming at these Pharisees and He's saying, you don't get it. Now it's not just that they're ignorant. He calls them fools at the beginning of verse 40. But it's not just that they don't understand. He's using a specific word here. It's the Hebrew word that's used in the book of Proverbs. It means to refer, or refers to willful disobedience. And purposefully going against God's design and plan. It's not just that they don't understand. Jesus is saying you are willfully disobedient. To care only about external matters. Means to neglect what matters most to God. It's foolishness. Instead, Jesus tells them in verse 41, this is what you ought to be doing. Give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything else is clean for you. Give as alms means to give to the poor, give to the needy, be generous to the poor. James Edwards in his commentary on this verse says, Giving alms, being generous to the poor, is not only the opposite of greed and wickedness, like what was mentioned earlier, but it is a deep and genuine expression of a pure heart. Because giving alms means we have to serve. We have to look at those who are less fortunate and care and invest and do work. It is a deep and genuine expression of a pure heart. What Christ is saying is that an inward and pure heart leads to godly behavior and action. And that is the desire of God. See, there is some difficulty in interpreting verse 48. There's some debate about what exactly Jesus is saying here. What does He mean by give His alms? Because that sounds work-oriented. And especially, what does He mean by those things that are within? And there are several plausible answers that I think are out there that are good and biblical answers. I think... Primarily, Christ is saying this, according to the context, doing the things of God, like justice to the needy, which is the heart of God. Doing those things from, a, from the hearts with pure motives makes everything else that you do in life clean, not the other way around. You want your actions to be clean? You want to, you want to be holy and godly? Do the things of God from the heart. Ministry is from the heart, not from the outside. Hypocrites do their actions thinking that their actions benefit the soul. That's not correct. Hypocrites instead only do things to be seen. Jesus says true ministry begins where no one sees. 
Hypocrites cleanse the outside and forget what matters most to God. That's the inside. And many professing Christians will find themselves in these categories. I can say without doubt this morning, if you care more about what others think of you, if you care more about your appearance and reputation than you do your heart and soul, then you are in grave danger of being what Jesus says he hates, a hypocrite. And what danger would we be in to find ourselves being the very type of person Jesus despises? Well, those are concrete truths. Real quick, I I do want to get through this text this morning. What are the identifying marks of a hypocrite? That's what defines a hypocrite. Someone who cares more about the outside than the inside. They do these ritualistic things on the outside, but still on the inside, even though they keep their man-made laws, they're wicked, they're greedy, they're ungodly. They forget God sees the heart. They don't know that doing things from the heart is what really makes you clean. But how, how do we begin to identify hypocrisy in our own lives and hypocrisy in others? Well, Jesus tells us by issuing these woe statements to Pharisees and to lawyers. The woe statements to the Pharisees are found in verse 42 through 44. It's a scathing report to his hosts. And it dispels the notion that we aren't to be offensive as Christians. Jesus is invited into this man's house and he's about to blast him. It's a shocking truth for churches who want to be all welcoming and all friendly and tolerant of everything. The gospel sometimes demands, standing up for truth according to Christ, demands that sometimes we have to sacrifice our likability and popularity. And we may, yes, be offensive. Jesus is offensive to His hosts. And He launches into a soul-wrenching speech. It's meant to expose, cut, and convict any who would hear it. And He actually holds nothing back. He's not just saying shame on you when he says woe. It's a word that pronounces uh, condemnation and judgment. The truth is, all hypocrites will be judged unless they repent. The first thing he says to them that is an identifying mark is you have misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. You tithe, but you neglect. You tithe, but you neglect justice and the love of God. He doesn't diminish their tithing. That's biblical. He actually commends them to continue that practice. You ought to have done that, but not by neglecting the others. Tithing was a public uh, act. Tithing was something that could be done in front of others and seen in front of others. But justice and the love of God is something that starts first on the inside. Jesus said, you have misplaced your priorities. You think God is more concerned with your tithing than with your heart of justice and heart of love. So an identifying mark of a hypocrite, they have misplaced priorities. Speeding along real quick, the second identifying mark of hypocrites, they seek attention. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. It's not bad to sit in the best seat. It's not bad to be greeted in the marketplace. But that's what these individuals are doing. That's what hypocrites pursue after. Everything they do is to be seen by others. They 
pursue and crave the attention of the world. Their first con- concern and thought is what are other people going to think about me? Not what is God going to think about me? So they pursue power, prestige, honor, glory, all from the world and none of it from God. Verse 44, the third identifying mark of hypocrites, they hurt others. You are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without even knowing it. Now for the Jew, to come in contact with a dead person meant you were spiritually unclean. It was the same for touching the grave of a dead person. Touching or walking over the grave of someone who's passed away. Sometimes graves were unmarked. You might be working in the field and decide to lean against a, a cliffside and be leaning against a grave. You were therefore unclean. That's why they would whitewash their tombs to help people avoid coming in contact with the dead. Jesus says you are like those unmarked graves. I find this to be very uh, piercing in contrast to the beginning of this conversation. At the beginning, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of being unclean because he didn't wash. Jesus here is not just accusing the Pharisees of being unclean. He's accusing them of of being the cause of uncleanliness. It's not just that you're unclean people in your hypocrisy. It's that you are the cause of uncleanliness and you are harming other people. They follow you. They listen to you. You lead them and they don't know you're leading them to destruction. Hypocrites hurt others. Well, Jesus moves on to the other group of people represented at this dinner. It's not just Pharisees. It's also lawyers. These are the people who knew better than anybody else the law of God, and they also interpreted it for other people. And they actually tell Jesus, in verse 45, you're offending us. As if Jesus didn't know what he was doing. Don't you understand you're insulting us? We're we're special people. We're held in high esteem and high regard. We're the religious leaders of the day. And and you are here insulting us. Well, Jesus doesn't shy away. He presses in even further. Verse 46. He tells us another mark, identifying mark of hypocrisy. Is that you make traditions into commandments. Verse 46 You load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You lay all these external rules and rituals on people. Thinking it makes them godly. In fact, Jesus issued this very same indictment in Matthew chapter 15 to the Pharisees earlier before. In Matthew 15 verse 1, He says to the Pharisees and the scribes who came from Jerusalem, Why do your... They asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. There it is again. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, Jesus says. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You teach your traditions as if they were 
the very words and commandments of God. Hypocrites always blur the line between man-made tradition and the word of God and command of God. And they lay unnecessary burdens on their people that weigh them down, crush them, and break them. Do you measure your spirituality by your man-made traditions or by Scripture? The second identifying mark or, or yeah, Mark from the, from the lawyers, I don't remember what number we are in the line now, but it's verse 47 through 51, a rather lengthy portion here. And it's this, hypocrites enable resistance against righteousness. They are enablers of resistance against righteousness. Jesus issues an indictment to these lawyers because they gave consent to the deeds of their fathers by building the tombs of those they killed, namely the prophets. These lawyers didn't kill the prophets themselves, but they gave consent. They were still very much so a part of the crime, a part of the act. Jesus even calls them witnesses with approval. And He says, you will be held accountable for it. You will not escape judgment comes down to this hypocrites like these lawyers do not truly care about God's righteousness they care about their own definition of righteousness only for their appearance they may even be found to enable persecution against God's righteousness lastly Jesus says an identifying mark of hypocrisy in verse 52 is that you are an obstacle to the truth. These lawyers who were the interpreters of the law, they might be translated in your Bible, scribes. They relayed the meaning of the law to the people. Jesus says, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. You had the ability to study, you had the ability to know, God, God's requirements, God's heart. Instead, you have taken the key, you have hidden it, you have thrown it away. You didn't listen to knowledge, you didn't pursue it yourselves, and now you lay your hypocritical attitudes on other people. And those who follow you follow you into hypocritical hearts and false understandings of God and condemnation. Hypocrites are obstacles to the truth. They don't celebrate God's truth, they don't proclaim God's truth, They oppose God's truth. They oppose those who preach God's truth. And they help others oppose the truth of God. How many people walk around today masquerading as messengers from God all the while opposing the truth of God? That's why God hates false teachers as well throughout the New Testament. Well, that's not all that Jesus has to say. He goes on. He walks away from this dinner, this conversation. They continue to presume to provoke Him. It's as if, you know, Jesus, you made us angry. We want to make you angry kind of deal. Jesus goes on in chapter 12, verse 1. uh, The crowd increases, but he wants to continue teaching his disciples about this hypocrisy. And this is what it really boils down to. Here's the truth of hypocrisy. He says to them in verse, the end of verse 1, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. All that I just told you about these guys... They care about the outside, not the inside. They, they forget God sees the heart. They don't do ministry from, from their heart. 
They misplace their priorities. They seek attention. They're the cause of danger and hurt, harm to others. On and on and on. Jesus says, beware of that. It's like leaven that impacts the whole lump. And here's why he says in verse 2 of chapter 12 to beware of it. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. Hypocrisy, church, is futile. Because one day all things will be made known. All things of your deeds, all things of your motives, all things of your actions, all things of your words will be known. And finally on that day, your standing, your real righteousness and godliness will be known. Your external masking and and covering up of symptoms does nothing. It's your heart that matters before God. It's futile. Christ issues a very convicting and bold indictment to these people. He hates religious hypocrisy. And He warns these people of their behavior and as such warns us of such behavior. We ought to come to this text and take a quick self-examination of our own lives and say, do I line up more with these hypocrites or with what Jesus says defines genuine believers? And I need to realize that I may hide and cover up and put on a good face Right now for my reputation. The truth is it won't be hidden for long. One day it will be too late. One day it will all be exposed. Before God. And there's no turning back. Keeping up a facade of a a godly reputation. When the heart is still dead and, and wicked and far from Christ. Is futile. Do you have misplaced priorities? Are you just seeking attention with your religious actions? Is church just a social gathering for you? Are you harming others? Like an unmarked grave? Are you holding on to traditions as if they were the commands of God? Are you enabling resistance to righteousness? Are you an obstacle to the truth of God? Well, take the warning and take it with fear and run from those things and run to Christ for forgiveness. Maybe you are a genuine Christian and yet you've found yourself to be wrapped up in these very same things. Maybe you need to repent today. Confess sin. You know, the only difference between a hypocrite and and those who genuinely belong to God is repentance and confession of sin. Owning up to your sinful condition before God before others is what dispels hypocrisy. Admitting your sin to God and to others and seeking forgiveness from Christ is the only thing that liberates you from this. And let me tell you, it does, by experience, provide liberation. Hypocrisy is futile. And yet too many people are wrapped up in it. I'm convinced many people, even in our own midst, play Christianity and their hearts are unconverted. Many people play Christianity in their church attendance and they do not belong to God. Let us be a people who push away the things God hates, namely hypocrisy, and genuinely, honestly, transparently run to Christ in faith 
and rest on His grace alone. God, this text is um, weighty upon our hearts if we let it sink in. You cannot adequately, Lord, convey how sobering this truth should be to us. And I cannot adequately convey how eternally valuable this truth can be to us. This is something you hate, God. You hate shallow, superficial, false religion. And you've made it so plain and clear to us that we can run from it. God, if our hearts walk away this morning unchanged and untouched, even just by reading that passage, it is our own fault. God, if we walk away and continue in hypocrisy, it is our own fault. And the same judgment issued to these Pharisees and these scribes will be issued to us. You are a God of love and a God of patience and You extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to all who come to You, but You will not tolerate hypocrisy. And the hypocrite with the unconverted heart will never set foot in Your kingdom. God, we are a people prone to do external actions to cover up internal struggles and sin. We are a people, O Lord, prone to put on a face and a good appearance for the sake of our reputation, for the sake of being thought of as godly. We have an appearance of godliness, but we deny its power. I pray, O Lord, we would be from this moment on a people that let Your truth and have Your truth impacting our hearts. You desire well-behaved Christians. You desire morally good children of God. Only after our hearts have been changed by the Gospel. Lord, there are hypocrites here. Not just struggling with it. The hypocrites by nature. Melt away the pride that keeps them from coming to You in faith and in humility, and in confession. Let the lost be saved today. And those of us who struggle and stumble and trip into hypocrisy, even after conversion, help us to remember, You are the God who sees the heart. and You are the God who cares about the heart. And You are the God who works in the heart. The Gospel, You have not given us the Gospel to make us better behaved people. You have given us the Gospel to give us new life. Work this new life within us. For your glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.